You might want it open in front of you this morning because we have actually going to be working through it uh, and, and seeing the sequence of events. Uh, a really powerful chapter uh, as we conclude our, our time in, in Exodus today. In journeying through the book of Exodus, really since uh, the kids went back to school uh, back in, in February, it's been a roller coaster ride, hasn't it, for God's people? Uh, we've seen the, 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 the lows of, of being in slavery and then the highs of God miraculously, graciously bringing them up out of slavery, freeing them from slavery. We saw the, the low points for the Egyptians, at least, of the terrible plagues. Uh, we've seen uh, him call Moses from the desert, a reluctant Moses, a reluctant hero uh, who, who, who was called by God to deliver his people, to, to tell Pharaoh the difficult message, the hard message of let my people go so that uh, we, can, uh, we can worship uh, out in the desert. So uh, we've been hearing about things like Jesus uh, most miraculously leading his people uh, through the through the Red Sea, miraculously parting the waters of the Red Sea so that his people can, can walk on dry land and escape slavery. We've uh, seen uh, how God has miraculously provided for his people out in the desert, manna every morning on the desert floor, what they need, quail every evening. We've seen how Moses got his staff and struck the rock with them out in the desert to provide water in the most unlikeliest of places. We've seen Moses raise up his hand with his staff in his hand so that his people might overcome the raiding uh, Amalekites. He's delivered them from the hand of, of their enemy. And last week we heard how he's given them his law, the, the Ten Commandments. And we saw, we heard how it was a, really the, the gospel uh, in, in miniature, that God frees his people in order for them to be to be obedient rather than the other way around. He didn't go to his people and say, here's a bunch of laws and if you follow them, then I'll bless you. No, no. God took the initiative. God took the first step and freed his people and then gave them a bunch of life-giving laws and statutes so that they might walk in the fullness of, of life. Moses comes down the mountain. We're skipping over quite a few chapters because Moses comes down the mountain with the Ten Commandments and then he heads back up for a period of some 40 days up the mountain and he comes down with, with a bunch of extra law, a, a really case law, laws detailing a whole bunch of stuff about, about life. This goes on chapter after chap, chapter. He tells them to, to build for himself a tabernacle, like a, a travelling temple. Before they built the temple in Jerusalem, they had a, like a, a travelling temple called a tabernacle. We think of it as a big marquee or a, or a fancy tent. It's going to be very detailed instruction about all of the furniture, all of the, the utensils, even how the priests should dress. If you think this is flash, you should see what the, the priests of old used to wear. He's going to chapter after chapter, very detailed instruction. But he comes down the mountain and then catastrophe, disaster. Chapter 32 the people couldn't wonder where Moses had been and they fashioned for themselves as an, an idol. Within 40 days of hearing God's commands to not do that, they've break, broken the command and built for themselves an idol, a golden calf. They're bowing down to it, dancing around it. They're flagrantly breaking God's good life-giving laws. And, and at this stage, Moses throws the Ten Commandments to the ground and they shatter. 
Incidentally, not many people know, but Moses had to go back up the mountain to get a second copy of the Ten Commandments. Such was his anger at the first one. What? They're worshipping a golden calf. He smashes the Ten Commandments. He grinds up the golden calf, puts it in their water and makes them drink it. So it's a bit of a low point. It's a real low point where we, where we, we come, to our, we come to, our, to our reading. God has called his people a stiff-necked people. He's, he's a heartbroken God after everything he's done for them. You've been with us on the journey, you know, miracle after miracle after miracle, grace after grace upon grace, and still here they are bowing down to a golden calf. God calls them a stiff-necked people, which is a way of saying they refuse to bow down. They refuse to yield themselves. They refuse to surrender themselves to God's sovereignty. He's angry with He threatens to consume the people. He says, these are a stiff-necked people. He tells Moses, now leave me alone that I might burn against these people, that I might destroy these people. So the context for our reading today is that we're basically set up for another flood. Remember, God has promised not to destroy the, the, the earth again with a flood. He didn't say that he wouldn't do it all together if you actually have a look at that, the story of Noah and, and the flood. So the context here is almost Eden 2.0. God seems ready to smite his people. He's finally had enough. He's going to wipe them off the face of the earth and start again. So much like the flood, this may be Eden 3.0 or 4.0. This has happened a number of times already by this state. But Moses, again, the God-man, the sort of the priestly prototype, speaks up on his people's behalf. He courageously steps into the breach for his people and says, don't destroy them. And God, again, graciously relents. He promises to spare them. So for the time being, at least, the nation is safe. And that's where we pick up our, our reading it's not all good news for the Hebrew people in chapter 33. We're going to be reading the first six verses and then skipping a, a little section and, and, and concluding uh, down to verse 19. This is uh, Exodus chapter 33, uh, verses uh, 1, 1 through to 6 and then 12 through to 19. Then the Lord said to Moses, Leave this place, you and the people you brought up out of Egypt, and go to the land I promised an oath to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. I will send an angel before you and drive out the Canaanites, Amorites, Hittites, Perizzites, Hevites, and Jebusites. Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go with you. Because you are a stiff-necked people, and I might destroy you on the way. When the people heard these distressing words, they began to mourn. And no one put on any ornaments. The Lord had said to Moses, Tell the Israelites, you are a stiff-necked people. If I were to go with you, even for a moment, I might destroy you. Now take off your ornaments, and I will decide what to do with you. So the Israelites stripped off their ornaments out Mount Hori. It's an outside. Then down to verse 12. Moses said to the Lord, You've been telling me, lead these people. But you've not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name. You have found favour with me. Verse 13, if, if you are pleased with me, teach me your way so that I may know you and continue to find favour with you. 
Remember that this nation is your people. Isn't that the language being turned around here? The Lord replied, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. And Moses said to him, If your presence does not go with us, then do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing that you've asked because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. And Moses said, show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause all of my goodness to pass in front of you. And I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. And I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we see ourselves in these Israelite people, stiff-necked. We see ourselves in the same sort of a place, wandering in a wasteland perhaps. So, loving Lord, we pray that you might help us to learn from this passage, see ourselves in this passage. We pray that you might help us to not just be hearers of the word, but doers of the word. Father, we pray that you might break into our consciousness and illuminate these scriptures for us. Father, we pray that my words might be your words. We pray that I might decrease and you increase in all that is said and in all that is heard. The people said... Amen. Amen. So in the, in the opening verses of chapter 33 here, we, we hear God tell Moses that he will indeed keep his promise. He's going to deliver them to the land flowing with milk and honey. Uh, this is great news. He's made a promise back to Abraham and, and God said, look, I'm going to keep my promise. I'm, I'm, I'm a God of my word. You can trust me. I'm going to deliver your people uh, up into this land flowing uh, with, 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 with milk and, 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 and honey, I'm going to give you this land, Canaan. I'm even going to send an angel with you. Um, so um, that's it. I'm done. Because there's a great big huge but there in, in verse 4. Um, verse 4 says, I'm going to send you. I'm going to keep my promise. But I'm not going to go with you. I've had enough. Yahweh out. God at this point said, I can no longer go with these, these people lest I consume them. He's so angry with this golden calf incident. He's already relented once. He's already been gracious on, because of Moses' request once. He said, look, I'm going to keep my promises, but these are a stiff-necked people, and I can't go with them lest I, lest I, 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 I consume them. Now, this is devastating news. The NIV calls it distressing, but other translations call, call this, uh, this is a, a disastrous Word. This is really, really um, bad news. So the Israelite people, think about this for a moment, Aussies. You're going to get a, an awesome land. You're going to get a land flowing with milk and honey. You're going to get everything you need, but God isn't going to go with you. You don't have to maintain your relationship with God. I'm wondering this morning how many of us would go, that's a great deal. I'm wondering how many Aussies out there would go, I'll take that deal. Just give me everything that I want. Give me everything that I need. 
Give me my land flowing with milk and honey and cafe lattes, whatever it is that you choose to drink. A land flowing with Range Rovers and you know, all sorts of fancy vehicles and our fancy houses and air conditioning. Or give me all of the good stuff and what, I don't even have to maintain my relationship with God. Exactly right, sir. That, I think that's where a lot of Aussies are at. I think that is exactly the deal. Sorry, I don't drink coffee. Well, insert the drink of your own choice. Whatever it is that you drink, basically the deal is you get everything you want and you don't even have to maintain your relationship with God. Well, I don't have to worry about all the church stuff. I, just, I, I can just do my own thing. I think that sounds like a great... Aussie religion to me. I think, and I use that word religion in the bad sense of the word. I think, I think a lot of Aussies would take that terrible deal. I think a lot of Aussies would say, just let me live my own life, make up my own rules, be my own God, live the way that I want to live, give me all the good stuff, but I don't have to worry about all the God stuff. That sounds like an amazing sort of a, a deal. That's the first little challenge. If you could have every good thing that God gives, but not God himself, would you actually, would you take that deal? Do you really only want God for what you can get out of him? That's a real challenge, I think. I'll give you an example. Uh, we recently, Carl and I recently celebrated our 25th wedding anniversary, and so uh, we decided to, uh, yeah, she still hasn't, hasn't traded me in yet. How about, that's pretty good news, isn't it? And so uh, we decided to go to Singapore for uh, a few days. Now, what would have happened if, Carly had said to me a few days before, hey, look, this thing's come up, this, and I can't make it, I can't come to Singapore. Fellas, this is a little lesson for you. What is the correct response in that situation? Would it be for me to say, oh, do that, sorry, duh. Uh, good luck with the kids, I'll send you a selfie from the infinity pool. That would be the wrong response, wouldn't it? In that instance, the correct thing, fellas, is to say, if you're not going, I'm not going. That's the correct response, right? So too it is in our relationship with God. Do we just want him for all of, of the good stuff? I even heard John Piper, one of my favourite preachers, challenge his church with this. If you could have heaven with all of the good stuff and not have God, would you still want to go? It's an unfair question because every good thing we have ultimately comes from God. But I think it is still a provocative one. Do we just want God for the good stuff he gives us? Are we really interested in his presence, in his presence with us? Let's give the poor old Israelites credit where it's due, though. At this point in the story, they realise that this is terrible news. I think unlike many Aussies, the Israelites at this point might have actually learnt their lesson. They've learnt their lesson and we're told that they enter into a time of mourning, so they take off all of their jewellery. They take up all of their ornaments. This is the language of entering into a time of mourning. We, they, they know, hang on for a second, you, we get to go to the promised land, but you're not going to go with us, Lord? You're not going to provide for us? Who, who's going to fight our battles for us? Who, what about the manna in the desert? How, what are we going to eat? What, what about the water from the rock? What, are, you, are you not going to... They realise what they've done, but they've made some... Terrible mistakes, and they are they are repentant at this point. They are they enter into a time of mourning and and repentance, we're told. So so a little glimmer of hope at this point, a little a little glimmer of, of hope. They, they they say, Oh no, this is this is terrible news. We better do what we can to appease God's 
God's wrath. And this, this really is where we're all at, whether we're walking through the desert Sinai thousands of years ago or modern-day Aussies, we are all ultimately in need of, of God's presence. It actually, the Bible actually says, Ephesians says, we're actually born dead in our, in our sins. We've all got this broken relationship with God that, that needs restoring. We all need reconciliation with God. It is, in fact, our greatest need. So the Israelites at this point give, give them some credit. They realise what they've done. They're doing everything they can to try to make trust, to, to, to earn God's, God's trust once more. So in verses 12 and 13, Moses cries out to God uh, for help. Remember, he must have been as weary of these people as God was. Remember, Moses was a reluctant hero to begin with. Moses has been through the ringer. He must have been as fed up as as God was. So he, and so God says, listen Moses, I'm going to, don't worry, I'm going to go with you. Right? In verses 12 to 13, he promises to be with Moses himself. So Moses is sweet. Moses is all good. Moses is an individual at this point. He's got God's seal of approval. But Moses, you see, isn't finished. Moses, once more, Moses steps into the breach on behalf of his people. In uh, verse 14, God says, yes, I'll be with you, but Moses is not done. Moses takes the promises, he takes what God has already said and asks for more from God. It's always a good thing to do, by the way, to take what you know God has said to base your prayers on what God has already promised. Why we need to know the scriptures, why we need to know our Bible, we get to know God by how He's interacted to other people in the past. He takes the promises that was given to Him and He sort of leverages His promises personally on behalf of His people. Friends, you should be thinking, this reminds me of someone else later to come. This is a real Jesus moment on Moses' behalf. This is Moses stepping in as a as a priest, this is Moses using the good graces that he has on behalf, of, on behalf of his people. He cries out famously in verse 15, what a, a really powerful verse, a real, full, of, full of pathos. It's a really heartfelt cry. At this point, you still can almost sense Moses at the end of his tether, at the end of his rope with his people, as is. Yahweh himself. He says, if you don't come with us, God, we're not going. If you don't go up, if you don't come with us, God, don't send us out from you. Because if, if you don't go, all is lost. Moses realized that without God's presence, life really isn't worth living. I heard Bernie Diamond, our own Bernie Diamond here in one of his daily fresh devotionals, put it this way: that the, the, the Diamond translation of verse 15 says. If you're not coming, God, I ain't going. That was how Bernie translated. It was a good way of putting it. God, if you don't come along, I ain't going. It was wise words from Moses at this point. He finished the devotional Bernie with hashtag note to self. When God sets you an insurmountable opportunity or task before you, never, ever go it alone. That was good advice. Similarly, the great missionary to Africa, David Livingston, put it this way. He, he, he said, God, send me anywhere, which of course God did, he sent him to Africa. Lord, send me anywhere, only go with me and sever any tie in my heart. 
except the tie that binds my heart to you. So this is a cry from Moses, not just to save his own skin, but to step in Christ-like intercession on behalf of his people. This is an audacious act. It's a very selfless act. He knows God will be well within his right to destroy these people at this point. But Moses again steps into the breach for his people. He very, he very, very cleverly uses God's language and turns it to be not just about me, but about us. He does it four times, by the way, in this little, little passage. He moves the language from being all about me to us and being from your people, Moses, to your people, Yahweh. You go back and and have a look at it all. And again, amazing. God once again shows grace to his people. God again says yes to Moses and promises that he will indeed go with his people all the way to the promised land. It will be a long, circuitous journey if you know the story. It's going to take them 40 years to get there, as a matter of fact, because they, they hesitate at the last moment to be full of full of fear, but they will eventually take the promised land. God will go with them. He'll go ahead of them. He will help them fight the battle of Jericho and take the promised land under under Joshua's leadership after Moses dies. Moses gets to see the promised land. He never gets to actually enter in. This whole generation will pass away out in the wilderness, as a matter of fact. Only young Joshua himself and a man by the name of Caleb are the members of that generation that exited Egypt that will enter into the promised land. Verse 16, if you've got it open in front of you, is also, I think, worth noting. It's tucked away there, but I think it's also worth, it's also worth asking ourselves. Moses says, how, if you don't go with us, Lord, how, how is anyone going to know that we're a distinct people? How, what's going to set us apart? How will anyone know that we are, are special, that we are, that we are your, your people? I think it's a fair enough question. It certainly wasn't their land, they didn't have any, at least not yet. Uh, it, it certainly wasn't their pedigree. This was a nation of slaves, not particularly special people. It certainly wasn't their obedience, was it, or their, their faithfulness, given what just happened in the previous chapter. And so too, for we Christians, I think it's a question to ask, what sets us apart? For his church still today, are we different? Uh, are, we, are we somehow set apart? Do people know Something is different about us. So they, are we as a church somehow a little bit noteworthy in the community? Are we somehow, are we somehow do we stand out at, at all in our, in our modern day Aussie community? I mean, really, without God, our church, I think, really just blends in. And no offence to the Kiwis in our midst, but Aussies, I think we're just better dressed Kiwis, aren't we? Or uh, no offence to the... Uh, to the Brits, I mean, our myths, but I've heard Americans say Aussies, Aussies are just Brits with better beaches. You know, there's nothing particularly distinctive about us. Yes, Don? I think the Germans dress very well. Germans do dress very well. <laughs> they do dress very well. That's that leather, leather, leather housing, that's, that's fantastic stuff. <laughs> We've got a, a few people of German heritage in, in our midst, but it doesn't matter your nationality. We've got people from many nations here. This morning, but what really makes you distinct? It's not your cultural heritage. Surely it is the only thing that makes you distinct is your relationship with God. And do people see it? My challenge, one of the little challenges, I think, of this little passage here at this point is are we distinctive? Are we salt and light? Do people notice we're a little bit different from the average Aussie man or 
or woman on, on, on the street. Moses cries out, show me your glory in verse 18. He's still going to God for more. He says, show me your glory, Lord. Come with us, show us your glory. And so God says, well, you just wait. I'm going to come with you or take the promised land. The people will, will have a, a mighty king and put a shepherd boy on the throne, a shepherd boy from Bethlehem to be a mighty king to conquer all the lands around him. And one of his descendants in the fullness of time from that little town of Bethlehem will be laid in a, in a manger. I will break into history and will show you my glory. The God-man will break into human history, will call to himself a, a small team, will go out and take the good news to the very ends of to the very ends of the earth. This Jesus of Nazareth, this Jesus who was born in Bethlehem, is the ultimate outworking of God's glory. He's the ultimate priest who steps into the breach for you and for I. How can a holy God dwell amongst a stiff-necked people like we Aussies? Well, the answer is Jesus. The answer is always Jesus. God's amazing love and his amazing grace to us all should be a real word of hope, should be a balm for his church still today as we conclude this this series in, in Exodus. Any of you this morning that are feeling a little bit stiff-necked, you're feeling a little bit less than hopeful, yes, brother, even you, Don, you can take hope from this. Well, the, the stiff-necked is an allusion to the refusal to bow down. So I think the imagery will be that, yes, if we yield our heart, if we give ourselves, we'd like we, we bow before Christ and accept his lordship over our life, uh, then then his, God will come to us and he will say, your, your badness cannot stop my goodness. I choose you not because you are good, but because I am good. Your corruption cannot stop my holiness. Your waywardness cannot overpower my faithfulness. Your hatred and faithfulness and idolatry cannot overpower my love for you. I am sovereign. I am free to show mercy on who I want to end with Jesus saying, I'll show mercy whoever I choose to. I'm free to show you grace. I'm free to choose you. Despite your sin, despite it all, no matter how unworthy you feel. This is the heart of the gospel. Particularly on a day like today at Pentecost, where God sends his Holy Spirit, his promise to go with us, he's put his spirit in our heart. Something that Moses could only have, have dreamt of. God broke into the world in the form of Jesus Christ and then 50 days after his resurrection broke into our world once more and empowered his church for the road ahead. So as we finish this journey through the book of Exodus, as they're on their way to the promised land, I want to point something out. I reckon we Aussies have a lot in common with these wandering, wandering slaves. We might indeed be living in a land of, of plenty, but I reckon our desert is a spiritual desert. What do you think? We live in a spiritual desert, I reckon. We have all the goods and shadows in the world that we could possibly want here, but we're nevertheless in a desert because we I feel as though we are wandering in a spiritual wasteland, a spiritual, spiritual desert. I reckon the church is in desperate need of God's power once more today.
So won't you cry out, church, today? Won't you cry out to God? If you don't come with me, Lord, I'm not going. Cry out, I need you, Father. I can't do this on my own. Submit yourself to him. Reject the stiff-necked nature in you that wants to, that wants to be your own God, to make an idol of God that you can control. Reject that and say, I am yours, Lord. I am bowing down. I want you to guide my life, to empower and equip me. I need you to take me out of slavery, delivering, deliver me from slavery to sin and death into life eternal. I need you to bring me through the waters when I feel out of my depth, just like at the, at the Exodus. I need you to guide me through all the dry and desert times in my life. I need you to fight the battles for me when my enemies mount up against me, Lord. Won't you fight on my behalf, Father? And Father, ultimately, I need you to lead me home. I need you to take me to the promised land. I need you to take me to the promised land of eternity with you. Abundant, eternal, resurrection life with our Heavenly Father and His Son, empowered by His Holy Spirit in this life and the next. Who's with me in journeying our way to the promised land, church? Yes, can I get an amen? amen. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we look to these people of old, these Israelites, these Hebrew people and all of their many missteps and we think of ourselves, we see ourselves. And we again, like them, Father, need you to step in. We need you to intercede on our behalf. So we say, thank you for sending Jesus into the world to be our great intercessor. A new Moses, a better Moses, who takes our sin upon himself once and for all. Father, we say thank you that he has defeated death. The grave has been defeated. We have overcome death. Thank you, Lord, that we can be delivered from slavery to sin and death into life eternal, Lord. abundant resurrection life in this life and the next. Father, lead us home to the promised land, we pray. All the people said, Amen. Amen.